You may be seated. Let me go ahead and invite you to uh, turn or launch your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And today we are continuing our series called Say What? And in this series, we're taking a look at some common church words, and we're just sort of peeling back the layers a little bit and trying to get to their core meaning. In the first week of this series, we looked at the the uh, nature of God as we considered the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, we looked at that beautiful term in Scripture, simply uh, the gospel, and the gospel of Jesus is the good news of salvation for all who believe by faith. This week, we're going to explore the word atonement. And so let me just jump right in and let's read the text together. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. St. Paul writes, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Well, if you like taking notes, let me invite you to take uh, your notes out that we uh, gave you as you came in. And as you do, again, I want to encourage you to check out the resources that I've provided for you. Now, rather than starting with our word uh, atonement today, we're going to take a look at a few other words, two other key words, and just work up to it, if you will. And the first word is the word we covered last week, or part in concept, and, but it's good to review it, and that's the word righteousness. As we looked at the gospel last week, we unpacked this word a little bit, but I want to just add a little more. I, I want you to notice right off the bat, that Paul uses two short little words, six letters total, that are absolutely extraordinary when we read them in the New Testament. And they're the words, but now. But now. Those two words offer and signal a powerful change that has happened. It, It occurs in other places of the Bible. I'll just mention two. Jesus healed a man who was born blind, and the religious leaders came, and they they quizzed the man. They interrogated him. They wanted to know, you know, who did this, and how did Jesus do this? And all the guy said was, you know, I don't know anything about him. I don't know how he did it necessarily. All I know is I was blind, but now, but now I see. St. Paul also wrote in his letter to the Colossians, he said, you know, you were once alienated. You were once far from God. But now, you have been reconciled to him. And so we see it again as we see the flow of Romans opening up. Paul opened the letter by unpacking this great and incredible gospel that we talked about last week, that the gospel of Jesus is the power of salvation for all who believes. And then after Paul unpacked that for a moment in Romans chapter 1, he moves on to Romans chapter 2, and he starts talking about just some bad news, 
some really bad news that he sums up in our passage by saying, hey, listen, everybody, Jew, Gentile. And basically when, when Paul said Jew, Gentile, he meant everybody, everybody who breathes, right? Everybody, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of God's vision for our lives and we need to be rescued. Okay, so again, Paul makes this incredible pivot and he focuses on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we are not bound to our sins. Because of Jesus, we are not doomed by our sins. Because of Jesus, we may be at one. We may be at peace. We may be tight and made right with God. This is a right standing. Fancy word is righteousness. But this is a right standing with God that comes from God. We can't give it to ourselves. God does this for us in Christ. Now, several years ago, a judge right here in Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, Judge Donald McDonough, in a Fairfax courtroom, he was standing before him were two hearing-impaired a hearing-impaired couple, two people, who had just gotten married, and because of their, uh, their disability was discontinued when they got married, they were unable to pay their rent, and they fell behind on their rent. And so the plaintiff was there, the landlord was there saying, hey, they owe me money. And as the judge looked at the case, he knew that the facts were right there. They weren't disputing the facts at all. And he knew that, that they owed the plaintiff money, but he just could not bang his gavel down. And so before he ended the trial, he left the docket, he went out, came back, and gave how much they owed in cash to the attorney for the landlord. And he said, here, this settles it. He just couldn't do it, right? The couple was made right with the plaintiff. They were made right with the court for that matter. They were declared righteous in the eyes of the court. God declares us righteous. He makes us right with him when we receive Jesus and we receive the glory and the goodness of Jesus. The second word, we're building up to our word atonement. The second word is redemption. Redemption. Redemption is one of the sweetest concepts in all of Scripture. It comes from the world of commerce. We even use it in our world today, even in our techno-driven world. So in 2019, BT, so 2019 was before twins, Pastor Brian and I went to a lot of Nationals games for free because he hooked me up with this, sort of the Nationals back then had this reward system that if you would go chase down this sort of word that they would use as a code word, they would then give you points. These points were worthless anywhere else, but they were, you could get free tickets. And uh, they've since discontinued the program because Pastor Brian and I got a lot of free tickets off of that reward system. And we had some sweet tickets. We redeemed the points for something of value. Probably not of a lot of value today, but it's a lot of value back in 2019. In Paul's day, the term was frequently used to indicate that someone is being bought out of or purchased out of, redeemed out of slavery. You see, in the ancient world, there were no bankruptcy laws in which someone could be freed from oppress the oppressive weight of excessive debt. And people then, just as today, 
would fall on hard times and they would make poor financial decisions or they would uh, have just hard times hit them and they would make mistakes. A year of famine would destroy a crop, for example, and people would borrow money to make ends meet. And then when the person couldn't pay, they basically became a tenant farmer to the lender. And when they still couldn't satisfy the debt, one would become a slave to the lender and usually their children would become slaves as well. And lenders would just continually perpetuate this kind of slavery. Whole families could be bound unless a provision was made. The Jewish law provided for relief in the form of a person. And Leviticus 25, 25 writes about this. The Hebrew term for this word is ga'al, which simply means kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was to be a relative of the debtor. And they were to redeem the person voluntarily out of love. And they were to bear the full cost of the debt. The kinsman redeemer could liberate the enslaved from bondage. My friends, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is closer to you than your closest relative. He loves you, and he went to the cross to die for your sins. He went to the cross to pay the full price for you to be liberated and redeemed. He purchased your freedom from everything in your life that would hold you back from being all that God wants you to be. He wants you to be redeemed. He wants you to be liberated. Let's talk about this for a moment. From what do we need to be liberated or redeemed? Well, we need to be liberated from not measuring up. We need to be set free, bought back, if you will, from the shame and guilt of sin when we break God's law. Tim Keller, fantastic pastor and scholar up in New York, uh, reflected on this, and he suggested that it's a really difficult concept for us in our Western mindset because we have tended to throw off the words shame and guilt. We all know there, there are some cultures in, in the world that are considered a shame culture and one is motivated to keep the law or to meet certain expectations because they don't want to bring shame upon their family. We may not use those words, shame and guilt, much, but we still struggle with the idea of not measuring up. We just use different words or phrases. Someone might say, I just didn't fulfill my purpose in life. Or someone might say, my parents always wanted me to do this or that. We see it in workaholism, but we simply call it a type A approach to life. We see it in the hyper-competitive mindset that just is trying to constantly prove worth, shame, or guilt. So then when it comes to God's law, we already know that we can't keep it perfectly and that we fall short, that we're bound to shame and guilt. The kinsman redeemer liberates you from this. He buys you out of that. He forgives you. He empowers you. He gives you his goodness. And his redemption is, to, is the power to move you out of that cycle of shame and sin and guilt. 
And then there's a, another point of liberation, and that is being liberated from bad rulers. There are a lot of rulers that will take everything from you, work you like free labor, and use you, drain you, and not care about who you are as a person. Substance abuse is one bad ruler. Jealousy is, and envy and covetousness is one bad ruler. Anger is one bad ruler. Insecurity is one bad ruler. And we could just go on and on and on. Jesus says, I have purchased you away from all of these bad rulers and liberated you to follow and to serve me. On the cross, Jesus has redeemed you and liberated you. He is your kinsman redeemer. Now, we get to our word. So we have righteousness or made right. We have this idea of redemption, being liberated. And now we have simply the word atonement. Verse 25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. The word atonement literally means to make at one. You can see it in the word there, to make at one. In the Christian church, it has been used to describe often as the motive, the motive for why Jesus went to the cross. And various theories of the atonement have been put forth. Jesus went to the cross as the only satisfactory payment. For our sins. In other words, someone who is sinful can't die for sins because they'd be dying for their own sins, right? So the sinless person had to die for the sins of the world. Jesus went to the cross, for example, as an example of sacrificial love. And when you look on the cross in faith, then you are motivated to follow that loving example. He went to the cross as the ultimate victory over sin, death, and the evil ones, called the Christus Victor theory, where he went to spare us from the wrath of God. Now, while we're talking about hard church words for a minute, let's talk about wrath. That's a word we don't like today, and it's not a word we like to use, is it? It makes God seem cruel and harsh and relentless and scary. I mean, how many of you meet somebody new and say, you know, what do you know about the wrath of God? They're going to back up from you. God's wrath is actually an expression of, of God's love. Now what do I mean? God's wrath is God's settled hostility against sin and evil in the world and the sin and the evil that would destroy you. It is not uncontrolled or volatile, but it is his fury against evil. God loves you with a relentless love. And God hates the sin that destroyed you. He has set his wrath against that sin and evil. If God did not love you, God would not care about what could destroy you. My mother's father was an alcoholic, and he left the family when she and my aunt were just little girls. And so my mother grew up in a single-parent household in the 40s and 50s, which was almost unheard of back then. My mother also then hated, as she grew up, the very idea of alcohol. She just didn't have a concept of it being used in moderation. And she was very quick to set her wrath 
against it and to anyone who would dare try to bring it into our household. She hated what it could do to someone. Had Jesus tried to turn water to wine in my mother's house, he'd have said, try cheer wine, Lord. Cheer wine's a Carolina thing. It's not real wine. But her wrath was driven by a deep, deep love. Let's build this out a little more and bring it home. God is a holy God. God cannot tolerate the presence of of sin. You do not want to follow a God who would wink at sin. Because if you followed a God that would wink at sin, you would never know what true justice is in the world and in your life. And we'll talk about justice next week. So since God cannot tolerate the presence of sin, a sacrifice has to be made. In the sacrificial system, for example, on the day of Yom Kippur, a goat would be slain. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of that goat over the mercy seat and atone for the sins of the people for the entire year. By doing this, God's anger against the sin of the people would be appeased or satisfied. Now let me stop there for a moment. We're, we're, We're getting home, trust me. You might be thinking, when you hear the ideas of of blood being shed, blood being sprinkled over a mercy seat, you might be thinking, you know, that just sounds kind of primitive. All of this talk about blood needing to be shed for the sake of justice and to chill out God's anger, what kind of primitive religion is that? Isn't that what pagan religions dealt with? Stay with me. Let me show you the difference between pagan religions and God. For example, pagan gods and their disposition. One scholar wrote, pagan gods were volatile and moody. Pagan cultures would report their gods as pitching fits and being very unpredictable. So, for example, if it's thundering and lightning outside, someone would say, okay, the god is having a bad day or the god is in a bad mood. And then if it was sunny, oh, the god's in a great mood today. In Christianity, God's anger and wrath is set against sin and evil. It is perfect anger. It is not predictable. It is not moody nor uncontrolled. Who makes the sacrifice? In the primitive pagan religions, it was always human beings who made the sacrifice. In Christianity, God is the one who makes the sacrifice. The one who needs to be satisfied and appeased is the one who makes the offering. We cannot do this. This is why Paul wrote, God presented him. God made the sacrifice in Jesus. What is the offering? Pagan gods needed to be bribed with all kinds of things, sweets, vegetables, animals, and even more. God gave himself in Jesus. And in so doing, justice has been served. The payment has been made. And God's wrath because of Jesus has been turned away. So take this out of the theological laboratory and take it to heart. Atonement means that God loves you so much, he gave his one and only son to die in your place so that you would not die in your sin. In so doing, 
you would have eternal life in the presence and peace of God. His wrath fell right into the heart of Jesus so it wouldn't fall on you. If you don't remember anything else about the atonement, remember this. Jesus has made you right with God. He is your kinsman redeemer, and he loves you with a deep, abiding love that will not let you go. So what do you have to do? What do you have to do? Say yes. Receive your kinsman redeemer. Say yes to your liberation. Open your heart and give him your life today. Amen? That's the atonement. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. But our love for you can't come close to your love for us in Christ. So we thank you, God, for providing for our sacrifice. We thank you, God, for providing for our sins and our lives. We thank you, God, for giving us your son, Jesus. Even when we did not love you, you first loved us. Lord, we thank you for the power of this sacrifice. We thank you that the life of Jesus given for us on the cross gives us our freedom. It liberates us. It redeems us from all the bad rulers that would be in our lives. So Lord, I, I just want to pray for someone today here in the sanctuary or at home listening Lord, if there is a, a bad ruler that is dominating, Lord, would you bring freedom today? Lord, I, I pray for those Lord, who have never tasted your salvation. Would you give salvation today? Father, help us to open our minds and our hearts and our lives to receive all that you've done for us in Christ. And we thank you, God our Father, for your deep and mighty love. In Jesus' name, amen.